Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another episode of Rob Observations. We will dub this the Rob Observation International episode. It is coming to you from beautiful Positano in Italy. That is where I have been shacked up um, before I hit the road on my uh, vacation tour with my family, post-pandemic kind of uh, international stretching of our legs across a couple continents. We, uh, I, I, I had recorded several episodes that you may have heard, some comic book feuds episodes, uh, some uh, Grim and Gritty Legion of Superheroes episodes, the R. Crumb Bible episodes, all of this stuff is stuff that I had recorded prior to my um, leaving. But I, uh, I figured why not give this a shot. It taste, it, it's going to sound different. It's only for this episode. I did not pack my blue Yeti. I am talking directly into the computer here. So if you can, for one episode, bear with the maybe more tin sounding echo um, uh, uh, of this of this broadcast, I would certainly appreciate it. So bear with me as we jump into uh, a couple of fun topics for this episode. First off, under the auspices of hot topics, is uh, is these new the, the new ways that comic book companies are getting to uh, juice your sales, and uh, a couple and, and it's it's always interesting to me that whether it is. Uh, the Berserker Keanu Reeves comic book that was put out by Boom Studios, or more recently, the King Spawn number one numbers announced by Todd McFarlane. It's very interesting to me. They omit the the essential element that got them to this certain number. And this is interesting. The reason I'm talking about it is because it's so fascinating because there are there are different ways now that 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 people are finding to uh, to juice the numbers to to get the numbers up. Now, you're saying, Life, well, what are you talking about? You did X-Force number one. It had trading cards and polybugs. You're right. I am the perfect guy to talk about this. X-Force number one, as many of you know, following Spider-Man number one, a year prior in 1990, Spider-Man number one had four different editions of its comic book. There were uh, different colored logos, different colored editions, a couple that were polybagged. There were no trading cards in them, but it was just like a special deluxe collector, you know, uh, edition. And, and, and so through those four versions of Spider-Man, they sold 3 million copies of Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man number one in 1990. It was a big deal. Marvel then looked to um, follow this model immediately with Jim Lee's X-Men, but I made the argument successfully, and it, I've, I've covered it in the X-Force 30th Anniversary podcast. You can find it um, in any of the uh, libraries of my podcast on all the different platforms that you may listen to this show on. The uh, X-Force 30th Anniversary covers it in, in depth how I had to uh, really thread the needle to get X-Force into play. But the idea was with Jim, they would do multiple covers that fit together to make one image. And uh, ultimately, they ended up doing the 7.5, whatever, million copies of that with five different editions of that book. The, uh, and then there was a deluxe edition, which I believe counts for the six. There was one that collects all of them, and all the covers were printed in one uh, wraparound triptych. That's what it's called, T-R-I-P-T-Y-C-K, triptych uh, image. The uh, X-Force had five different trading cards. And they came on the same day. They were on the shelves for you to pick up. That, that is the glaring difference between what I am about to 
discuss with you in regards to the Keanu Reeves Berserker and the, uh, the, the Todd McFarlane King Spawn that was announced as selling almost 500,000 copies. Now, here's the deal. The, the, actually, the, the King Spawn has the most obvious, um, be, because it's following on the heels of the 180,000 copies of Spawn Universe number one, which I, it may have had 12 covers. That, that may have had 12 covers. I know at least there was six. Was there six J. Scott Campbell covers? Was there five? There was a fair amount of covers on um, Spawn Universe. I'm not going to, I, I won't commit to an actual number. I do believe it was more than 10, less than 12. Maybe you guys can help me out there. That sold 180,000 copies. It was uh, well well promoted in advance. Big, a lot of cool creative teams on Spawn Universe number one, and it hit a big number. The same month, Venom, with probably the same amount of covers, maybe a few more, maybe in the 12 to 15 range, but Venom was almost a $10 comic. Uh, that book did 280,000 copies, okay? These are good, um, good barometers in regards to discussing uh, the different sales of all these different comics that have been hitting us in this last year. And uh, the thing is, um, the, 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 the interesting thing about these new, um, uh, new barometers on the sales is, uh, is, is that there's these, what, what are we going to call them? The, the uh, incentives. Incentives is the word that I am looking for. Um, the incentive uh, aspect that separates it from the fact that with like X-Force number one, or Spawn or Spider-Man number one, all the books that were on the docket, all the books that were ordered, showed up. They showed up on the uh, the day of the sale, so everything was available to you. Now, uh, it was reported in February of this year of 2021, Keanu Reeves Berserker number one. So Keanu Reeves created a franchise for himself. It's a little like Highlander meets John Wick. Uh, 615,000 copies, okay, 615,000 copies. That's a whopping amount. That's a modern record from what I'm, I'm, from what I understand. The, uh, the, the, uh, the huge focal point of this that was underreported. Now, Bleeding Cool, uh, Rich Johnson likes to look in the weeds. That's really what sets him apart from everyone else. He will look in the weeds. He doesn't care whether you like him, so he will go looking in the weeds and sometimes pull up something uncomfortable. Um, and uh, there was a one in 1,000 variant. Did you know that? There was a one in 1,000 variant. There was also a bevy of retailer exclusive color uh, covers. That meant that if you had a store and you wanted a cover, you could call up, boom, they would sign you up. I don't know what the minimum was to, to, uh, to, to order, um, but it, 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 it was... Um, the bottom line is that uh, I believe that Berserker, you know, if you were, I'm looking at all sorts of different uh, different versions of the retailer, the the Raza exclusive. Uh, let's see, there there there's the uh, motorcycle version variant. There's I'm looking at all these. The, the Christian Ward had his own exclusive cover. Uh, a, a ton of different. Comics Core had their own cover, okay? Uh, th these different, um, you know, various different comic stores can buy their own retail variants. Now, there's nothing new about this. Frankie's Comics had some. 
Um, I don't know what the number was. I think it was a lot. Uh, you know, uh, uh, let me see what Bleeding Cool has to say about that. They, uh, they just show some of these covers. They don't give a final count, but I'm looking at them. And the bottom line is, if you were a retailer and you wanted to, apparently this article cites that 1,000 was the minimum buy-in, okay? 1,000, it, it, it varies, whether it's IDW's, uh, Turtles, or, or G.I. Joe, uh, Image Comics, everybody has a different buy-in in regards to a retail exclusive. Marvel has their own retail exclusive program, so does DC. Everybody's numbers fluctuate depending on it, if it's uh, one cover, two covers, an additional run. It all fluctuates, but those can come in really strong. If, if, if for instance, Marvel did 20 extra retail covers at the numbers that they currently have in regards to their buy-in, which is a 3,000 minimum, is uh, then if they had 20 orders of that, I mean, it doesn't take a, a genius to figure that that would give them a serious, if they had 20 different orders to get, uh, you know, uh, retail variants, it would boost 60,000. That, that's, that's, that's a top selling comment just on retail variants alone. And it's important you know that, and, and where I'm, what I'm realizing is when I, when I talk to you guys online, is a lot of you guys don't know this. Now, I've done a m bunch of retail variants. I know I have participated in drawing them for retailers. I am drawing one for a retailer right now for the Turtles, okay? He contacted me directly. I'm happy to do it. I do them for my own books. Uh, I, again, I've, I've been asked to do them for different stores. And again, each company has a different threshold. Uh, with, with apparently on the Berserker, it was a mil minimum of a thousand. Now, if they did 50, now I understand Donnie Cates with his, uh, Donnie Cates <clears throat> did, uh, his book earlier this year had over 50 variants. It was called crossover. Okay. And, and that was, uh, very integral integral to to the, the numbers that those achieved and and look we're not out here to judge i'm back to x-force number one five million copies it broke down to a million per card right five cards five million copies you had a cable card a deadpool card a rick uh, uh a sun a sunspot and gideon card you had a shatterstar card and a deadpool card basically each version sold a million is what it rounds up to so of course i can talk about this with great authority i've been there i've done that so the thing is that uh, that along uh, with, with, with what we did with X-Force number one and our five million, which breaks down to, again, a million per card, five cards, all those books hit at the same time. That is not what's happening with Berserker, and that is not what's happening with, uh, that is not what's happening with, uh, with the Kingspawn. Berserker had a 1 in 1,000 incentive variant that would come autographed by Keanu Reeves himself. That would arrive after Berserker number 1 hit, hit you know, the stands. Now, 1 in 1,000 is incredible. What I understand is many retailers were told to go all in on that and they can return those to Boom. Because... Uh, because, because they just wanted that number. They wanted retailers to go all in and they were very generous in saying, Hey, you can send it, you can send it back to us. Um, and we just will take it off the books and we'll figure something out. Cause what they really wanted was as many retailers as possible to order that one in 1000, because that's now a minimum of a thousand orders per store. There's 3000 accounts. 
in, in, th th that are on the books in the comic book business. 3,000 accounts that order your com comic books for you. Whether it's your mom and pop store, maybe an offshoot, maybe a guy who sells at a local market. Um, the, 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 the accounts number 3,000. So imagine if three, you know, I mean, we, we have greater than that. I mean, the, the number that occurred with Boom, they had a one in one, one, they had a one in 1,000 variant, a one in 100 variant, a one in 200 variant, and a one in 500 variant, okay? Marvel has done, I know, as high as 100. And, uh, uh, they, Marvel may have done as much as one in 1,000 before. I know they've done one in 100s, and, 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 and they've played with numbers in that range. But your one in 1,000, if you ordered it, the, the, the deal was that you would get it signed, that, that a special cover, John, drawn, a great cover by John Boy Myers. You guys, I dig this stuff, by the way. I am a collector. It is part of being a comic consumer. Sometimes you just got to lean all, all the way into that collector status. With this issue, a one in 1,000 incentive came via a signature. You ordered 1,000, you got this John Boy Myers cover that came with a Keanu Reeves signature. Now, the, the, the covers have to be printed up and then sent to Keanu to sign. Whether he uh, flew somewhere and signed them or they delivered them to him, he signed them, they packed them up, they sent them back. Whatever method, it did not arrive that day. You were to wait for it to arrive. So much of this went to juice these numbers to 615,000, okay? Which is tremendous. If you felt like you needed to order 1,000 um, copies to get that Keanu Reeves signed edition, whether you wanted to put it on your wall, frame it, say, I have a very limited signed Keanu Reeves comic book, or whether you were immediately looking to flip that thing. Either or, doesn't matter. That's, uh, that's the, the incentive that, that was helping put this thing straight over the top. And it has the record, the modern day record for an independent comic book. In 2021, Berserker was the buzz. I bought a copy. I didn't need a signed edition. I thought it was well done. It was fun. It was action packed, which is what I loved about Berserker number one. Um, from what I read, and again, it's very Highlander-ish, um, which is okay because my kids don't know who the hell Highlander is. They, don't, they haven't seen them. No, I'm not a bad dad. I can't have them see everything. Uh, was it was it my priority that they see all of the Ridley Scott Alien and James Cameron Alien, you know, franchise films first? Yes, of course it was. So so we haven't caught up to Highlander, okay? Um, I'm still trying to get my kid to see Magnolia after he loved Boogie Nights, okay? There's only so much I can do. There's only so much I can do. Highlander is not known to them. So Berserker, if it appeared in this immortal hero that's you know, can't be harmed, he's semi-immortal, heals himself, has all sorts of Wolverine healing probabilities, kind of fills a whole bunch of different roles for Keanu. I'd like to see that movie. I'd like to see that movie. I don't care that it's, it's, it treads on familiar territory because everything is familiar territory today, okay? Everything is familiar territory. So in the end of the day, Berserker, one in 1,000 signed variant, drove was driving that machine. Now, I would love to know if there are retailers out there who indeed actually did get to send some back just because they wanted those on the books and they wanted that record because sometimes to these publishers and to these personalities, records are everything. It's really weird when we get into this uh, this entire school of thought of, of achieving benchmarks because that selling 615,000 copies and being the top modern record for a comic book became the story. The story of the comic book didn't become the story. The achievement of the comic book via the incentives that they just certainly didn't lead with. 
The only guy who really led with it was Rich Johnson, who, again, is not scared to get out, get down, and get into the weeds. Trust me, Rich has gotten into the weeds of my own career before. I, I, I know what it feels like. He will get in there. He will dig. He will, uh, he will pick at the roots, and he will, he will get the story, okay? Now, this week, we, we, uh, while I've been on vacation, it was announced— because uh, prior to me being here, I was, uh, you know, over in, in Maui and talking to my buddies and it looked like King Spawn was headed for about 180,000. It was going to match maybe, maybe slightly less Spawn Universe number one, which was, had all these new characters. And then there was buzz because look, there's a lot of people who, 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 who work at CGC. CGC has taken over and dominated the collector's market. I'll give you a personal experience. I have an X-Men number one. Yes, the X-Men number one from Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And I bought it for $2,500, $2,500, about maybe a decade ago. And I didn't know what grade it was. It, it, it seemed like a decent grade, but I knew it wasn't mint or anywhere near that. I thought it was medium. Turns out I was right. It's a 5.0. But I didn't know that until I asked Stan Lee to sign it. When we were traveling together, I showed up with my copy of X-Men number one. I asked Stan to sign it. Stan, uh, Stan Lee, Stan the man, signed it, and I sent it into CGC. They sent it back to me. It's a 5.0. Okay, great. I just, I'm, I'm just glad that I have a copy, period. They're not, you don't, those aren't falling off the backs of trucks, okay? You don't see a whole lot of these things. These aren't like, you know, you go to your market and you grab a can of Coke, um, you know, or you buy a bag of M&Ms. X-Men number ones by, by uh, just... Out, out of the slab, which is what CGC facilitates. And if you don't know what that is, it's, it's taken over. It's there in their nice plastic slabs. They are, um, your retailer probably has one or two or maybe many more of them. They are the high grade um, uh, facilitation of your, your, your comic books. It, it, it stamps it, it determines uh, you know, what category it fits in, in terms of quality, in, in terms of condition. There's, there's the yellow labels, there's the signature series, so covers all manner of, of categories. And in, in the card market, PSA dominates, okay? The PSA Tom Brady's, the PSA Michael Jordan's, the PSA Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, Pokemon cards are blowing up. I know, I got one of my son's cards, got PSA'd, and he's been getting offers in the ten dollars to $15,000 range ever since it got its PSA grade. So grading is important. It's especially important to collectors. My X-Men number one was about a year ago valued in the $10,000 range. Okay? Pretty decent, right? So my friend calls me up last February, February of 2021. So, so February of this year and says, Rob, are you aware how much X-Men number one is going up? Just, just period. And I'm like, well, I have one. And he's like, oh, you do? And... Uh, I ran to my safe, I got it out, I took a picture, I sent it to my buddy. My buddy is a human database. He is a database for all things comic books. And he has an account, a collector's account, and he went on and he told me that there are a hundred signed Stan Lee CGC comics. I believe it's um, from 5.0 up to the nines. And it gives how many are in each category. It's, it's staggering the data that you can get off these sites and the stuff that, that, that is available if you have the higher um, membership uh, levels and you can kind of peek behind the curtains. But it, uh, I think the largest amount of signed stand books falls in the six category, okay? 
So, so above the six, so there, there's actually less fives than there are sixes, which is great. But then it get, the air gets really thin as you get to the sevens, the eights, and obviously the nines. And within each of those nine two, nine four, nine five, I mean nine six, nine eight. Okay. So, so he says, "Are you seeing this?" So, I then ask him. My my dad, my, my buddy who doesn't have the database tells me that from what he's seeing, these X Men's are are exploding. So I asked my buddy with the database. I was at the car wash. I was at the car wash. I had just gotten out of my car so I could put it through the car wash. I was kicking it over on one of the benches. It was a Saturday of, of, of fe- in February. I was texting my buddy. He said, I'll look it up for you. He came back. He broke down all that data that I just shared with you about the sixes and the sevens and the amount of, um, the amount of signed Stan X-Men number ones that have gone through the system at CGC, which was, I think, just around 100. Maybe it was 98. And, uh, and so... He said, Rob, you're 5-0, signed by Stan, on record, last sale, 18,000. 18,000. In one year, it went up to eight, it went from, you know, 10,000 to 18,000. Well, that's not the end of this story, not by a long shot. I get another call. I get another call. That call comes in from my same friend that says, X-Men, it's exploding again. Have you looked at the prices? They're crazy. So I had my buddy, and he, my buddy who I asked, in February, on Saturday, at the car wash. goes, Rob, we just did this. We just did this a couple months ago. I said, could you please, if you get some time in the next few days, check this out for me. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not high priority. I just put the request in with my buddy in his free time. Ten minutes later, because I guess he had some free time, he said, Rob, the last closed sale of a CGC 5.0 Stanley signature is $40,000. From February to June, it went from 18 to 40. He actually sh- then sh- showed another that's, that, that closed in the 38,000. So 38,000 and 40,000, those are closed sales. Somebody ponied up and bought those comic books. That, that is what matters. That is what your category is. That is what you would call in the housing market a comp. In the collector market, it's still a comp. So my comic book, my, my, my X-Men number one. Now, can you imagine if they were actually... To announce an X-Men film? Because that's what everybody says. Can you imagine? So I'm just repeating what's been, told, what's been told to me. That thing is going to skyrocket. Okay? So, but it's the power of the slab. Imagine if I had a 6-0. My buddy actually has a 6-0. His is now closer to $50,000. $50,000. Okay? At, the, at a recent show I was at, before I left, I asked my buddy if he was bringing anything because he got a table at one of these local shows. And he said, I've got an X-Men. It's unsigned. It's a four, but we're putting it out for about 30 grand, okay? The power of the slab. It's unsigned. It was slabbed. It's a four. So CGC is driving everything. Add CGC and, and people go nuts. It is it has become uh, the absolute uh, essential method for uh, really, you know, for the collector's market, for... for, 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 for for cataloging the quality of your comics and really separating the wheat from the chaff, okay? This is, this is a way that you are separating yourself, making your book better than the other comic. And people have bought in at 100% CGC. If they were a stock, they'd be skyrocketing. And uh, they have been flooded in the pandemic and collectability across the board has gone up. Cards, comics, just talk to anybody, whether it was, I have had people tell me that it was all the stimulation, the stimulus checks um, that people were getting while they, and one guy goes, Rob, I was getting, 
you know, he was a lifeguard. He was getting paid twice as much not to be a lifeguard during the pandemic. I'm not, this is not political. This is just a statement. He told me, Rob, I'm getting paid twice as much to not be a lifeguard in the pandemic. And then I'm getting a stimulus on top of that. So I'm getting my, 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 uh, my pay to stay home. Then I'm getting my stimulus check from the government. I have a lot of extra money. He invested in more collectibles, as did so very many people. Where does this lead to King Spawn? King Spawn, its version of the 1 in 1,000 was the 1 in 250 CGC option. CGC worked with uh, McFarland Productions to uh, be on hand as Todd signs a special 1 in 250. So minimum, you gotta, you got to buy 250 copies of King Spawn number 1 to qualify for a certificate that will state that your book is en route to CGC witnessed and it will be slabbed and returned to you. This is a big deal. What did I just tell you with X-Men number one? My X-Men number one has skyrocketed. It is slabbed. It is not raw. It is, a, it is only a 5-0, you guys, but it's signed by Stan, so it's got a little extra juice. And, uh, and it's skyrocketing. Uh, uh, clearly, it, it, it's tripled, almost quadrupled in price in the last 15, 16 months. It's, it, it doubled since February of this year. You guys, it's, it's insane. So, so you add this new collectability aspect that has everybody going crazy. And they're going to work with McFarland Productions. Todd will sign it either at the distributor, at the printer. They will deem the highest grade quality copies. Pull those aside. Todd will sign those. Those will go to CGC if you have your certificate. That basically is your receipt that you're getting it back. But also, I mean, let's be honest, the, 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 certi the certificate alone is, is not like most programs that are being offered right now. It's very unique to King Spawn number one. That put the book to an additional 300,000 copies on top of what was sitting between 160, 170,000. This was a huge surge so that these comics that are gonna arrive, many of them intended for the trash heap. And you know why I know that? Because retailers told me so. Retailers told me so um, uh, in, in tweets this week when this news broke and I decided to talk about it publicly. People were all too happy to, um, to, to share their experiences. I have, on record, I'm, I'm happy to share uh, my good buddy, Larry's from Larry's Comics. Larry from Larry's Comics, okay? Larry uh, was very, very uh, forthright in saying that he himself is um, ordering several of the CGC comic books in order uh, to, to put them, uh, in order to, to have the value of the CGC signed King Spawn, the one in 250. In his tweet on uh, August 12th, 2021, he shared with me, Rob, I had Larry's Comics. Just to give him a little plug, Larry's Comics is, uh, uh, you know what, he's in like the, the, the Boston, New England area. Uh, he doesn't have his ad, exact address here, but I love Larry. I've talked to Larry several times over the years. I've met him at the New York Comic Con. He's got a great spirit, a great boldness, a great enthusiasm for the medium. He says, Rob, I had four customers order the one in 250. So I ordered 1,000 copies to qualify. I'll have 925 extras that I'll put in the warehouse. Eventually, they'll turn good someday. Okay. Um, that is his, uh, that, that is his take. I, I had another gentleman, uh, share with me that his store, 
holy shnikes. We have a local shop. <laughs> you guys aren't even going to believe this. I, I, <laughs> yeah, th this guy, um, uh, and, and I haven't heard more than this yet. He goes, my local store ordered 10,000 copies. That's 33 long boxes because they plan on getting 40 of the signed King Spawn CGC variants. I can't imagine trying to find space for 33 long boxes. I then asked, is there anyone higher than this? And another guy said, he knows of another retailer that ordered 5,000 copies of King Spawn number one to get the one in the, the, the special CGC variants. Um, then another gentleman has told me, and of course, they are um, they are pre that there are they are already on um, they, they are pre-selling these comics. Uh, a, a local retailer who ordered 8,000 Berserker number ones to get eight of the Keanu Reeves. Um, and, and it's apparently this retailer sold the eight Keanu Reeves Berserker number ones signed by Keanu. He sold them at 3,000 each. And, uh, and obviously at that point, your, your, your order is more than paid for. This same store is pre-selling Spawn for $650 right now. The, the one in 250, he's selling for $650. Another person on Twitter here um, shared that he is seeing that these are going for $700 a pop. He says right here, uh, my good buddy, his name is Expensive Paper. Expensive Paper on Twitter said, my LCS ordered enough to get 10 signed number ones. Um, they have already pre-sold every single one of them at $700. And they are charging an extra $50 handling. Okay? So the store is getting an extra $50 per uh, the 10 copies that they're signing at $700 each. Okay? So, so this is big business. This is the incentive world that we live in. Now, when the Hollywood Reporter tells you that it has sold half a million, they aren't telling you that it is incentivized for these stores to buy in bulk copies that will never, ever, ever sell. Copies that will never sell, that will either go to the trash heap, that will be in the back basement. There will be a ton of unsold King Spawn number ones that were never intended truly to be sold at all. And, uh, and, and so that in and of itself is, is, is um, what we are looking at. The Berserker 1 in 1000 signed by Keanu and now these um, orders for the 1 in 250. Now, I'm sharing this with you because I, I kind of, I'm, I'm excited by this. There's no judgment. But, but they're not being as transparent as they possibly could. They're taking the, the uh, manipulated number. If I today said to you, for my new, let's say, profit, I'm going to relaunch profit number one. And I am going to start today doing remarks that are about two inches by one inch. A nice profit face on, on all the different blank covers. Or, or even then, I am going to do... Um, you know, I'm going to do 50 sketch covers of profit, profits headshot. And, uh, and, and that will, you'll get those. If you get 500 copies of profit, number one, I would sell all of them. I would sell all of them. And, uh, with the market, the way it is now, now imagine if I got CGC to, to grade and slab those and follow through on the same certificate. So I'm, so I'm going to spawn and I'm going to Keanu Reeves one better. I'm adding an original art component. If I don't do it, it's going to happen. Guarantee you, someone else is going to do this and it's going to happen probably before the end of this year, maybe the early next year, because right now we're doing the November books. Um, look, I have six plus covers coming out on X-Force number one. Marvel came to me and said, we want to do this many covers. 
on X-Force, the 30th special. So, dude, I live, and ironically, the room that I am broadcasting to you right now could literally qualify as a glass house. Uh, my view of the beautiful mountain range of Positano and the beautiful sea out in front of me off this incredible view. I, I, it's all surrounding me. It's all glass. This villa that I am broadcasting from is straight up gorgeous. The glass, the, 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 the cleaning people were in here today shining it up. I am telling you, I am living in a glass house as I broadcast. So from my glass house here in Italy, I am not throwing stones. I myself am doing uh, variant covers. They're here to stay. But these big numbers that we're seeing are these manipulative, uh, 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 collector-driven incentives. And I certainly will reserve the right. I called one publisher when the Berserker thing came out. And I said, why aren't more people talking about this? And he goes, well, nobody wants to condemn it because somebody might... Some, some publishers are going to want to duplicate it. So why condemn it if you yourself have plans to copy what they did down the line? You know, I mean, imagine if Ryan Reynolds, again, there's nothing planned like this, but imagine if Ryan Reynolds was going to sign a one in 2000 copy of Deadpool. Would you buy that? You know you would. There's, there are, based on this, there'd be a pre-sale. There'd be a pre-negotiated number. A retailer would say, will you give me $3,000 for that copy? The guy goes, okay, then I'll put the order through. In order to do this King Spawn, you had to be a registered CGC member. So um, I, I imagine they got some new signups as well out of this. So you guys, hot topics, comic sales, the numbers behind the numbers, the data within the data. And, uh, and, and as, as the time rolls out, you're going to find out about this. Like I said, when I brought it out there, of course, I should have thought there, there are established uh, sellers right now pre-selling these. Some on eBay, some from just pre-selling to customers alone. And again, thanks to Twitter and the Internet Universe, I was able to find out about all of it. Every single bit of it I was able to find out because you guys shared with me in real time, rapid fire all of the different data that's going on in regards to the pre-sales and the existing sales that happened on the 1 in 1,000 Keanu Reeves Berserkers and now the King Spawn 1 in 250s that are going to be slabbed by CGC. You guys, it is an exciting, exciting time in comic books. Things are growing, changing, expanding. I am investigating this thing called Substack, which just, uh, I, I've been watching through different mediums. Sports writers were starting to tell me that they wanted me to follow them on Substack. And now it's opened up a huge element in the comic book world. And so uh, we'll get to that in a future hot topic. But today, the numbers behind the numbers, what, what is driving these new record-breaking sales? And I just broke it down to you. Everything that I just shared to you is, as TLC would say, is actual and factual, okay? Because nobody said it better than T-Boz, Left Eye, and Chili. It's actual and factual. And I hope that you enjoyed this extensive breakdown, but the numbers behind the numbers, the data behind the, the data, and uh, good luck if you are um, out there obtaining a, a 1 in 250 CGC King Spawn. Good luck to you. I hope um, you um, get whatever you're asking for, it, or if it's going into your collection, again, on your wall, uh, behind the counter. Good luck to you. Um, I hope everything uh, works out as planned. And, uh, and, and that, that, that is, like I said, this is just a very exciting time in comic books. And, and there are new methodologies and new um, means of driving sales that, uh, that are coming up every single day. I mean, again, remember, years back, some of you guys who don't even know who the band KISS is, 
Kiss did a comic book with Marvel. And one of the driving points, it made the news. Again, this is probably 1978, 1979. They used their own blood in the ink. They cut themselves. They dripped their blood into different canisters, and that blood was poured into the ink. I work at a print shop. The ink would get the, the blood would be diluted immediately within the water and the ink. Um, again, I spent two years working at a print shop. It helped me when I got into the comics medium. I understand about um, the different levels, and you have to how you always have to fo um, follow your levels, and and that's why um, that's why there's orange covers of New Mutants '87, and there are bright red covers of New Mutants 87. Somebody fell asleep at the wheel at the printer when they were watching their levels. And we'll never know if it was a red that got diluted to an orange or an orange that got too dark. I've never found out myself. I just know that um, at this, literally in real time at different comic stores when New Mutants 87 came out, there was red and there was orange. But uh, that's, an, that, that, that's just to prove the point that I know my stuff when it comes to printing and the printing levels and water and ink levels and how you have to have constantly adjust them. And now it's all computerized and, 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 and digitized, but still that stuff has to be set and watched because as the stuff comes off the press, that's why you do press checks every 500 copies, every 200 copies, every 1,000 copies to see if the quality of the printing is on par and it's consistent. KISS, putting their blood in their own comic was a giant gimmick. So this is nothing new. This is the world we live in. Kiss bled for their comics, literally. And now you're getting um, CGC options and you're getting celebrity autographs and all of it is, is driving us to this brave new, uh, these, these new ceilings in comic books. Are we gonna break a million again? I think we are. And I think it's gonna be really soon. So uh, we'll watch it together and, and, and we'll talk about it here on the show. All right, so you guys have shared with me how much you like the untold tales of comics, untold stories, uh, back stories that, that you may or may not have been aware that went into creating some of your favorite characters. We've done a bunch of different uh, uh, episodes on this. The most recent one was how Dave Cockrum, the brilliant late also, uh, late great Dave Cockrum, he had all these designs for a Legion of Superheroes comic book that I was a huge fan of. It was a big deal for Marvel, uh, for DC Comics. Recently, I, I covered how DC Comics had a real winner in regards to the Legion of Superheroes, but, but uh, they took a turn with that book, made it grim and gritty, and it never recovered. But for the years prior to that, Legion was exciting, it was, and, and much of it was because of that, er, the work that Dave Cockrum and then Mike Grell and, of course, Keith Giffen poured into that book. Um, Dave wanted to do a spinoff. He had a series of characters. He got into an argument over at DC Comics. I'm not going to give away what that argument was. I want you to listen to the episode. Uh, it, it's an untold uh, tale about the secret history of the X-Men. But Dave took a bunch of those characters with him, went to Marvel, landed the gig for Giant Size X-Men number one, and you got three. Dave Cockrum no less than three of the brand new X-Men that you love and are still being published, celebrated today, are a result of this uh, conflict that he had at DC Comics where he picked up the characters and literally crossed the street and the rest is history. And, and we got uh, these great X-Men. Well, not everything always works out as successfully as that, but there are stories behind stories behind stories and I love sharing with them with you. You guys enjoy them. It's because I'm old 
and, and I read all these interviews and I was obsessed with comic book personalities and the ideas and the concepts. And I read all the forewords and the omnibuses, the trade paperbacks, the hardcovers, the albums, because every once in a while there's a great nugget in there, okay? That's where I learned that, that Terry Austin and John Byrne were going to do Spider-Man instead of the X-Men. Another story that was shared in the Untold um, Stories uh, podcast that we've been doing. So for this one, today we have two fun uh, untold stories that deal with um, one is a background uh, that, that explains where a character came from in the first place, and the second is an interesting crossover that never quite came together. And, and I'll, I'll let the the guy behind that inform you that, that, that today's uh, exciting names involved with today's untold stories is the king of comics himself, Jack Kirby, is um, Todd McFarlane, Frank Miller, and Steve Gerber. So some exciting stories. In 1974, one year before Jack would come back uh, to, to, to Marvel Comics after being away for five years, where he, when he left Marvel in a dispute with how he was being treated and compensated for his work, he went to DC Comics. At that point, he created a million characters, it seemed. The New Gods, Light Ray, Orion, Darkseid, Big Barda, Mr. Miracle. Uh, he, he, he created uh, the Forever People, Mark Moonrider, Big Bear, um, you know, Beautiful Dreamer, uh, Viking the Black, all, all of these amazing characters and worlds that he built out. He, he, he created Commandy, the Demon, Etrigan, uh, just, uh, just spread his wings and flew over there, and uh, Oberon. I mean, just it, the list goes on and on and on. It's it just... Uh, Mantis, again, I just, they're just popping into my head. It was a, the fourth world of books, which involved Jimmy Olsen, which involved the New Gods, Forever People, Mr. Miracle, and, the, and uh, those books, those four titles uh, combined to create this epic that, that DC is still um, giving new albums, new versions of, which I, I buy them all. I gobble them up. I cannot believe how, how, how much my, my appetite is for this stuff. But along the way, towards his last year there, DC had asked him to continue to create new concepts and new characters in search of another home run. He created a character that along the early in my comic book exposure at my good friend Fred the Barber, who is exposing comic books. I've covered this in the podcast, how he allowed me to trade my Richie Rich and Archie and cast for the Friendly Ghost comics that my parents had, had approved. He allowed me to trade those very kid comics to for the more adult Marvel comics. And I say that with, with quotes because my, my parents were just kind of scared at the, at the, at the, uh, at the influence comic books might have on me, but this was a particular, uh, Fantastic Four 147, uh, Prince Namor, the Submariner, rising out of the ocean to battle the thing and Johnny Storm on the cover, the most exciting image I had seen to date. It's still one of the most exciting images I've seen to date. It rivets me. That comic is, it has a special place in my heart. Fantastic Four 147. I was able to trade for it, take it home. And my love affair, uh, was 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 never to be the same again and i started pulling them off the spinner racks avengers 141 and and we were just off to the races and my p passion and love and obsession with this continues to this day around 1974 jack launches omac o m a c omac number one is in fred the barber's stash it would take me a few weeks to get enough comics to trade for that but i did number one has a small omac who is a mohawked warrior with uh, 
armored gauntlets and a neck piece, and he's just badass to the bone. The minute I saw him, I was like, oh my gosh, that visual is one in a million. OMAC. OMAC stand. You're like, what's OMAC? It stood. It's an acronym. One Man Army Corps. The One Man Army Corps. OMAC. He was uh, a product of a science, uh, of of scientific genetic manipulation. Uh, He was part of of an existence with a character named Buddy Blank. And there was a satellite, okay, called Brother Eye that would, uh, that would, that would help them out and, uh, and, and beam down uh, different powers and assistance. It is and remains one of my favorite comic books of all time. I cannot get over how badass OMAC looks. OMAC is just a badass visual. OMAC became my obsession. I grabbed as many copies of OMAC as I could, but OMAC was finished and completed in 1975 with issue number eight. Jack Kirby left the book because he left the company. He left DC. Marvel, who wanted him back terribly, made a great deal for him to come back. That is when Jack came back for the Bison, just in time for the Bicentennial, which is a big deal in this country. I've mentioned this before. 1976, they did coins, dollars. Um, our, Our currency reflected the Bicentennial. 1776 to 1976, you know? And, uh, and, and, and there was just giant celebrations. Fourth of July that year was off the chain. Memorial Day was off the chain. Everything was about the, the centennial, the bicentennial. There was even a, a, a special collected, uh, a special gra- graphic novel, a tablet edition called Captain America's Bicentennial Battles that Jack Kirby did that is some of the most amazing artwork that he's ever done on the character of Captain America. So he left DC, OMAC, did eight issues in and out. Um, it wasn't that it wasn't selling well. It was that Jack was leaving. He did Captain America. He did Black Panther. He did Machine Man. He did Devil Dinosaur. He, uh, he did 2001 A Space Odyssey. Jack immediately got back into it with Marvel and just started producing all over the place. He was doing covers for the Fantastic Four, for Thor, for um, the Avengers. Some of my favorite Avengers issues have his Bronze Age, 1975, 1976, 1977 covers on them. The champions. I mean, it, there was Iron Man. Jack was doing, it felt like two-thirds of Marvel's covers at that time. So he was completely re-embraced, celebrated, and a very happy camper when he returned to Marvel. OMAC was the last comic, that new concept that he generated for DC. But check this out. This is where it gets all sorts of crazy, okay? I didn't know until 2008. Mark Evanier, Mark is an accomplished writer, producer, there was a cartoon cat named Garfield that came from the comic strips from a man named Jim Davis. It became a sensation on Saturday mornings. Mark wrote and produced that show. He has always been in and of and around comics and cartoons, but he started as Jack Kirby's assistant. He was one of Jack Kirby's assistants in Thousand Oaks, California when Jack came out in the 70s during this period with DC Comics, during this return to Marvel. Mark Evanier was his assistant make Xeroxes, make coffee, talk to Jack, whatever. He's explained it was um, a multifaceted role that he learned the comic business. Mark would then also go on to write several successful comic book um, concepts and stories himself. He is no, um, no, no stranger to success in the comic book field, but in the cartoon world, he really blew up. But Mark was um, at the feet of the king of comics, for years after years after years, and he learned so much, and he's been able to share so much. I've done Jack Kirby panels with Mark. Uh, as recent as 2016, 
at Comic-Con. Uh, did a Remembrance of Jack Kirby panel with Mark. It was a great time. Just we were able to sit in a room of Jack Kirby devotees and just um, be as effusive as we possibly could about our love for Jack Kirby and, and all that he meant to each and every one of us and his work and his designs. And it was so exciting. But it wasn't until 2008. DC put out this handsome hardcover with this beautiful dust jacket. And in the introduction, he writes... <clears throat> Um, many are aware, many are unaware of what was behind Captain America, uh, OMAC in the first place. And he shares, around 1968, I know that is a long time for all of us, 1968, while he was still at Marvel, Jack had the idea, this is Mark Evanier writing this in the foreword to the OMAC, uh, uh, hardcover edition, Jack Kirby's OMAC One Man Army Corps hardcover that they released in 2008. He writes, it was Jack's idea that Cap, um, given that he's supposed to, supposed to, in his words, Mark Evaner's writing, Captain America is supposed to be pretty much eternal, dot, 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 wouldn't he exist in the future as well? Might we not need him there? Jack's idea, Jack Kirby, the co-creator of Captain America along with Joe Simon, uh, his idea was to refreeze Captain America and defrost him again in the future, but to have someone new, a man of that era, take up the franchise alongside him. He toyed with several ideas, worked up several sketches, worked out this concept, and then decided not to go forward with it. That's, again, I'm reading directly from Mark's foreword. Wouldn't, the, wouldn't Captain America exist in the future too? Might we not need him there. Oh, it gives me chills. It gives me chills just reading this. Again, Jack's idea was not to refreeze the old Captain America and defrost him again in the future, but to have someone brand new, a man of that era, take up the franchise. I, I, I misread this when I said Jack's idea was to refreeze. It was not to refreeze. It was to have a new man of that era take up the franchise. That's where it says he toyed with the ideas, did up the sketches, worked out the new concepts, and then decided not to do it. Not there and then, at least. It was the wrong place and the wrong time, Jack Kirby decided. But six years later, he was at DC Comics, and his contract called for him to output a minimum of 15 pages, written, penciled, edited, a week. That's a lot. Some guys today struggle to do that many pages in a month, Mark writes. Some do much less. He's right. Jack had to do at least 15 pages a week. 21 or so each month were for Commandy, the last boy on earth, which was doing very well. He'd been doing The Demon and Mr. Miracle, but after extensive runs, those had both been canceled. More projects were needed to occupy this time, and he was soon assigned to take over a comic called Our Fighting Forces. Uh, he then says that uh, he was not present when he invented OMAC and that acronym, but he knew where it came from. And so, uh, so Jack introduced this concept. Um, he didn't want OMAC. Commandy was also in the future. He did not want them to connect. And he, and he knows in the years since, people have like, ah, there's such a clear line to connect them. Jack did not want them to connect. He wanted OMAC in a separate future from Commandy, and he made very, um, very specific that, again, I'm reading from Mark's forward in 2008, that he wanted them separate from the future of the Legion of Superheroes. 
and the Atomic Knights, again, future franchises, franchises that took place in the future at DC Comics. So, uh, so Jack went about reintroducing in DC Comics what he called his Captain America in the future concept. Now, beyond that, Mark has nothing left to, sh- to, to, to share on that notion. It is left right there that OMAC, now when he speaks of, there were concepts toyed with, sketches created, concepts worked out. Clearly, he's referring to this Mohawk warrior. And, and uh, now, would he have grabbed the shield and worn Cap's costume? They don't say. But Mark goes out of his way to tell you that OMAC was a branch off from Jack's concept that there would be a Captain America that took up the mantle in the future. And so OMAC, Mark says here, took that role, the Captain America in the future. I read that exactly again from the forward again. I just, I just want you guys to know that when I'm reading this stuff, I am reading this stuff. I am sharing this directly with you. In quotes, he says, OMAC to Jack was a self-contained series in its own little world. And a great chunk of it came from, and in quotes, Captain, his Captain America in the future concept. Okay, So OMAC is a great looking book. It is brilliant. He is indeed a powerful super soldier battling against all manner of criminal organizations and government manipulation. Um, OMAC is my favorite uh, of Jack Kirby's creations, period, full stop. Even more than Captain America, true. I wish to God I had been able to do OMAC at some point when I was um, uh, doing work with DC Comics, but I I have uh, just let that go. I, I very much doubt that will ever come about, but... Isn't that great to know that OMAC was part of the one-man army corps, was originally intended and envisioned as part of Jack Kirby's Captain America of the future, that we would need a Captain America in the future, and that, and that this Captain America in the future would resemble, based on what he's saying, sketches and ideas and concept drawings. It had to be this. It had to be this. It's so unique. And again, the the... The Mohawk is so, um, uh, it, it, it literally has, has its, it, it gives you images of Roman, you know, centurions and Roman commandeers and, and the huge uh, helmeted regalia that they would have with the Mohawks. And so, so I, I, I really do believe there was a specific nobility assigned this entire concept. He couldn't do the wings, he couldn't do the shield, but he did this, this Mohawk which is another kind of warrior motif, which is cool. So that, 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 that's where you get your OMAC was originally intended and an offshoot of Jack Kirby's Captain America in the future concept. Now, now our next one is going to be is a little more recent, not much, because this comes from an interview in 1990 from Amazing Heroes number 179. Amazing Heroes was the best interview magazine of its time. Comics Journal would get down in the weeds in the dirt, in the grime, and let you talk for 50 to 60 pages. But um, they, they, they only did it generally with one subject, and they didn't do it with a lot of pop comic book people. Um, they would do, you know, John Byrne, and then not do him again for five years, and then do, you know, Frank Miller, maybe maybe was one of the most that they interviewed because they, 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 they liked his, you know, kind of brand that he produced, the work that he produced. Um, and certainly when Frank leaves Daredevil and goes on and does Ronin, which we'll cover at some point, this, this really kind of cyberpunk future tech concept miniseries that Frank did that was really, truly not only innovative, but experimental. 
you know, that kind of really furthered the point that, that, that Frank is outside the box. He's not just a guy who wants to draw Superman and Batman. And that's what the comic journal, that's what the comic journal was interested in. Amazing Heroes wanted pop. It, it would do two to three, maybe four interviews per issue. It would interview the players. Um, it was Wizard before Wizard. And it was Wizard with more depth. And it was Wizard without all the, um, the crazy market manipulation that we'll get in with them some other time. And Wizard with all the, without all the drunk on power backstabbing shit. So Amazing Heroes has a Todd McFarlane cover. And in this interview, so I grabbed a stack of these to read on the flight home from, uh, uh, you know, but I got to them on the way here because I brought a lot of stuff with me. And uh, again, this broadcast that you're listening to comes from Positano in Italy, where I am vacationing. But I still have to do these observations. It is also why this audio may be a little tin sounding. I did not pack my Blue Yeti mic. I did um, pack my laptop. And these are laptop speakers and microphones that I'm utilizing. Um, Hopefully, they'll be satisfactory, satisfactory for you for this particular podcast. At the end of this Todd McFarlane interview, where he covers his career, his work on Batman, his work on Hulk, his brief tenure on G.I. Joe, the the rise of his popularity through Amazing Spider-Man, the interviewer says, Back to comic books, Todd. Are you working on any other things besides Spider-Man? I know at one point, drumroll please, that's me, the drumroll please is me adding uh, an element here, there was talk of a Spider-Man-Batman team-up by you, Frank Miller, and Steve Gerber. Well, so many of you know that Spawn teamed up with Batman, written by Frank, drawn by Todd, okay? That that happened. So this was weird to read Spider-Man Batman with Frank Miller. Steve Gerber was a acclaimed writer. Howard the Duck, um, The Defenders, very offbeat, very, again, acclaimed for his... Um, he, he, he did not conform to the norm of pop comics. He always had something deeper to say and uh, m- more of a poet but Steve was celebrated. And again, Howard the Duck is its own form of absolute genius. And his run of the Defenders is so sideways. It is, it is like he went out of his way to, to show you that this is not the Avengers or the Fantastic Four. And that's why you should watch it. That's why you should read it. This is not a traditional gathering of superheroes. They encounter weird things like Elf with a Gun. And I'll leave it right there for you to figure out what that is or I- investigate that at this time. But Steve Gerber was an acclaimed writer. Frank Miller, the most acclaimed. So this guy asks, and Todd says... Uh, the Batman Spider-Man thing came about, dot, dot, dot. Well, the actual idea was Jim Salakrups. He tossed this idea at me, turning the page, turning the page, tossed this idea at me since he really knew that I wanted another crack at Batman. He said, and we'll get Frank Miller to do it. Again, I'm reading, this is Todd. I, I don't have, maybe I'll do a Todd here, but I, I wasn't planning on it. At the time, I didn't really take him seriously. Every editor will tell you that you're working with Frank Miller and John Byrne and Terry Austin Willinkett, Todd says. But I guess he actually did phone Frank Miller and Steve Gerber and pitched them the idea. Jim Salakrup was Todd's editor on Spider-Man. He would later, uh, you know, edit Eric Larson on Spider-Man, Mark Bagley on Spider-Man, always David Michelini, who gave you Venom and Carnage and all the symbiotes. Uh, He says that Jim Salakrup actually did phone Frank and Steve Gerber and pitched them the idea. Again, I'm reading directly from this interview. And he said, and they both said, yeah, that sounds good. What was going to happen was that Gerber and Frank were going to co-write it and that I would do all the artwork, Todd says. It's pretty exciting, right? I mean, I, I, if I read this before, I blotted it out. This 
Amazing Heroes is from my short box of interview magazines that I have. I have several of them, but these are all the Amazing Heroes. And I grabbed them for the long flight to and from Italia. Um, and so when I read this, I don't remember this. This was fascinating. So reading this again for the first time was mind-blowing. It says, uh, it says, Marvel and DC were talking about maybe doing two or three other team-ups. And whoever did the first one, that would be the format for the others to follow. Amazing Heroes asks him, did DC know about this? Were they aware of this? Todd says, I don't think so. At this point, we were all just tossing around ideas. So we went at it. I had talks. This is Todd. Todd had talks with Steve, Gar Steve Gerber. I heard that it was going to be a Batman-Spider-Man play off each other. Dark and grim versus nice and funky. Bruce Wayne and Peter Parker playing off each other. The millionaire and the poor college kid. The two bad guys would be the Kingpin and the Joker. Outstanding picks, I think, Todd says. Frank Miller's handling both of them already, and again, he'd be playing them not so much off the superheroes, but off each other. Word for word, I'm reading this from Todd. Both these guys are the kingpins of crime and what they do. One guy has done it through strategy and brain work and a little bit of brawn. That's the kingpin. And the Joker's done it because he's psychotic, and it's worked. To me, that scares me more, that a psycho can get to that kind of goal more than a guy who's planned it all out. Steve and Frank... People were saying, why don't they do, they do Punisher and Batman or Wolverine Batman? I don't think that interested them because the characters are almost cut from the same cloth. And the thing that Miller and Gerber have given us over the years is their play on characters. And all those situations, Batman, Spider-Man, Bruce Wayne, Peter Parker, Kingpin, Joker. That's a lot of things to play off each other, Todd says. So that was the starting point. Frank Miller was off writing the screenplay from RoboCop was writing the screenplay for RoboCop 2, so he wasn't really available at that time, but I thought it would have been a great project. It would have been good for everybody. Something along the lines of Dark Knight or Arkham Asylum, I don't know what sort of packaging they would have put it in, but it would have been the hit of whatever year they put it out. Todd continues, but it just doesn't want to go anywhere. The people at Marvel are dragging their rears. The people at DC are, are dragging their rears. I made a bunch of phone calls, but I don't think it's up to the creator to try and get these guys together. Timing is everything, Todd says. I think we're at a point where DC's doing okay now, and they don't really feel they have to give Batman away. Why give a chunk of all the hard work and popularity and money they've made off of Batman to Marvel? Now, this speaks to that Batman, this is 1990, so 1989, Summer of Batman, Michael Keaton, Tim Burton, Jack Nicholson has already happened. And Batman did take its place as the biggest pop culture anything anywhere at that time. So I think uh, DC was very much feeling it. And because of the rivalry with Marvel, I see what Todd is saying here, that, that, that they felt like they had, um, you know, they had the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And he's, what he's implying is why share that and let someone else get that shine. Todd continues, on the other hand, Marvel knows that I'm content to work for them for a long while. Frank hasn't really been all that happy with DC in the recent past. And so if we don't do this, we'll probably just do something for Marvel. Says in quotes, Todd laughs. So why push the matter? There's really no motivation on either side's part to get this project off the ground, which I think is sad because it would have been a great project to work on, Todd says. Do you think, fan, the, the interviewer says, do you think fans bothering DC and Marvel to see something like this would get this project going again? So the interviewer's like, what if we wrote in? What if we called numbers? What, you know, do you think fans bothering DC and Marvel to see something like this would get the project going again? Todd says, oh, I don't know. Really, I don't know how things like this work. But yeah, maybe if they dialed up Jim Galton, 
at Marvel and Jeanette Kahn at DC, they'd be cutting through all the red tape. I did discuss it with one editor at DC who shall remain nameless, Todd says. And to me, he had the greatest words of advice about it. He said, and I quote, this is Todd McFarlane, just do it. Todd laughs. And if you've ever heard Todd laugh, what I have done, he goes, no, oh, 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 Robbie. Okay. Uh, he said, just do it. Oh, okay. If you could find the time, just do it and bring it in, this DC editor told Todd. And if you think Marvel and DC are dumb enough that they won't print this, if you came in with 64 completed pages, a story that's got Frank Miller, Todd McFarlane, Steve Gerber, Batman, Spider-Man, Kingpin, and the Joker, Todd laughs again. He goes, you're kidding. And uh, the interviewer says, are you tempted to, to do just that? And Todd says, well, I haven't sat down and talked to Steve or Frank about it. It would be a matter of coordinating all our schedules, but it hasn't gotten past that. So it's kind of humorous, but it's kind of sad. That's what you've got to do to get through something that should be flying automatically. Will it ever come out? Your guess is as good as mine right now. The interviewer says, that's too bad. I guess we're done unless there's something else that you'd like to talk about. And uh, then Todd says, actually, there's something I want to get off my chest. I don't mind doing superhero comic books. There's a lot of griping between different com companies, different factions in the comics industry. I don't really understand why we can't together as a community rejoice at the variety of books out there. And the guy who's 20 can get this. The guy who's 15 can get this. The guy who's 8 can get this. The guy who's 2 can get that. And as we grow and our minds grow, we can go in whatever it is that we deem suitable at the time we can get. And, uh, and the interviewer says, so it's not like the old way of thinking where you outgrow the comics. No, not even. If I get tired of superheroes, there's other things I can do. But on the other hand, if a guy wants to read superhero comics until he's 110, all the power to him. It doesn't mean he's a moron, Todd says. So uh, those are Todd's closing remarks. That was exciting to me to read the idea that Frank, Steve Gerber, and Todd McFarlane had entertained doing a Spider-Man, Batman, Joker, Kingpin, all of it uh, crossover in 19. 90. That would have indeed been a smash hit book. I can't imagine how well that would have done. Todd was at the peak. I think that is um, some of my best, my favorite personally, Todd artwork ever was being produced in 1990. I can't imagine what he would have thrown at that. He really had an affinity for both uh, Spider-Man and Batman. His brief stint on Batman year two, where he came in to uh, cover for Alan Davis, who walked off the project over a dispute. Uh, Todd really has a way, obviously, with capes, symbolism. I, I, I'm, you know, we eventually got a Spawn uh, Batman team up, but uh, look, Spider-Man shines brighter than, than everybody. I, th I think Spider-Man personally is, is if Spider-Man Spider and Batman are 1A, 1B on any given day, they, they can swap. One is 1A, one is 1B, but they're both the top. They're the two biggest characters in pop culture representing each of their companies proudly. Uh, Spawn is ex as, as popular as he was when they did that crossover in 93-94. Spider-Man and Todd's Spider-Man art is um, just phenomenal. And uh, it is exciting and it is uh, really um, an exceptional, exceptional, uh, you know, uh, uh, achievement in comics history, what he did with Spider-Man. He, he definitely put an indelible mark on that character for, for all time. Frank put his mark on Dark Knight, Batman, you've heard me talk about it. The Dark Knight, the Batman that you are getting today in 2021 from Tom King, from uh, James IV, from Scott Snyder are all Frank's Batman. The 
That is how radically Frank altered our perception and the depiction of Batman since Dark Knight Returns in 1986. Throw Steve Gerber in there. Maybe Steve would have been dialoguing it. Maybe Frank would have dialogued it over a joint plot with Steve. I don't know. This was exciting. That's an untold story of comic books that I, I'm thinking might remain untold. Todd himself has not drawn 20 pages, penciled and inked himself, in over 20 years. I just don't see him coming back and doing that in a timely fashion or in a, in a way that he would be, it would be genuine. And the thing I love about Todd is the genuine, when he puts his pencil to paper and does the Todd McFarlane thing, not inking over Greg Capullo's layouts is, is what he often does and not, um, and, and not inking over Greg. Greg is great, Greg is not Todd, okay? Uh, and, and I think history can, can reflect that. Anyway, very exciting. Jack Kirby, future Captain America, became OMAC. We almost got ourselves a Spider-Man, Batman team up from no less than Frank Miller, Todd McFarlane, and Steve Gerber, but it just wasn't right. The timing wasn't there. The companies weren't playing nice in the way that they should so that we didn't get nice things in that regard at that time. And, 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 and that, uh, they say, my friends, is, is history. And, 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 and it's, it's a shame. I, I, wish, I wish very much that we would have been able to jump on that and get that. But you guys, thank you, as always, for taking your time and, and going down this road with me. You guys are so um, ridiculously generous in, in your, giving me your time and your enthusiasm and sharing it across, um, across you know, uh, uh, you know the, the, uh, the, the, the internets, uh, across social media. So many of you guys have been so... Um, generous, and I know you're out there, you're promoting the show. I cannot even begin to tell you how much I appreciate that. You're sharing it. We are getting new um, listeners, new followers all the time. It's exciting to see how this show is growing. And this is the part of the show where I read your reviews, and you guys have been so generous. Reviews matter. They matter a great deal. I love that you guys leave them for me. I share them with you at the end of every show. Um, you know, if you're waiting for to see if I read it, I guess you can just jump to the end and see. But I am happy uh, very happy to, um, to to share these with you guys, and I'm going to share two of these today. One from Adam Wall. He left it this month, early August. It says, the main picture, Rob, I just wanted to say that you are doing a terrific job as a comic book artist and having your own podcast to tell us listeners about the many wonderful aspects of the comic book world. Adam Wall. Thank you, Adam. Um, thank you for that generous note. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me going, that keeps me pumped. I'm so excited. This comes uh, from uh, Gen X Comics. He says, dropping knowledge, spreading truth, shining a light. As a kid who grew up consuming comics during the 90s, Rob Liefeld's books were part of my diet. I still collect and read, but as I've gotten older, my passion is for the history and the culture that surrounds comic books. I've always been fascinated with artists' interviews, biographies, and documentaries about the comic book industry. And this podcast is the honeypot of knowledge related to comics. Since his first pod comp since his first podcast, since his first podcast, I've been hooked. Rob's energy and love for comics shines through, and his personal experience that he shares gives listeners a unique insider perspective on the subject we all hold dear. Thank you for sharing your love of comics with us, and I can't wait for the next episode. Cheers. Gen X Comics, C-O-M-I-X, like the underground comics we covered in a recent podcast. Thank you so much, you guys, for these generous reviews. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for getting it out there, for telling your friends, um, for, for listening regularly, for downloading, for subscribing. I appreciate it so much.
I will be here an, uh, uh, another time, another place with another episode for you guys. I love sharing this culture, this passion with you, this medium of comics we all love so much. You can find me all over social media. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld, the full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Blue check mark tells you that it's really me, just like you guys were able to tell me about the King Spawn uh, pre-sales and the numbers that people were selling those for. Um, you did. You you told me at Robert Liefeld on Twitter that, and I was able to share that today because you guys in real time gave me um, some of the great facts and figures that I was un- unaware of. I love it. I am all over Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld there. Just R O B L I E F E L D at Rob. Again, blue check. I read your comments. I read your DMs. I love that you guys reach out and share your enthusiasm and your. Um, excitement with me. I am all over Facebook, several different groups. I love hanging there. I love talking to you. I love our, our, our feedback and, and the discourse and all of the different things that we can, we can share. I just enjoy it so much. You guys, you know what you're going to do. You're going to finish this summer strong. You are going to stay safe. You're going to take care of yourself. And we are going to talk again real soon.